Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Reliability Gang podcast. I'm back with my right-hand man, Will Crane. How are you keeping, Will? I'm doing very well, thank you very much. Brilliant, guys. Thank you so much for the response on the Chris Hansford podcast. Oh, went down like street, didn't it? I mean, a lot of people are saying, how did you actually manage it, Will? How did you get Chris on there? But he, I think he really enjoyed it. Like the reception definitely. from him, he was definitely radiating some sort of energy on that podcast. And we got some real humbling, nice stories. So thank you for everyone and their feedback with that podcast. And thank you for everyone with the feedback, with the videos and the new content going on to YouTube and all of this new stuff that we're kind of creating, we want to try to get you into our world as well a little bit in terms of the reliability gang. We really feel like we've got, we're building like a culture and maintaining. A bit of a community. Yeah, a culture and community with, with the reliability gang. And it extends further out than just our people. It really yeah. does. I think we're, we're really kind of communicating with loads of people across the world. This is the thing I love about what we do. It's the fact that there's so many people from different countries, different cultures that have the same love for reliability and everyone comes together. And the, the beautiful thing about LinkedIn as well, some of the case studies and stuff we share, we've got so many different diverse peoples, different opinions, different yeah. people that have been through different experiences as well. So thank you. We're grateful for the reliability game. I just want to say that as well. Um, our journey has kind of been incredible this year and Today, we want to talk about reliability, don't we, Will? Yep, definitely. Now, we want to have this this kind of podcast, guys, is really focused on our journey in terms of reliability. So for those that have only probably been listening for a little while, when I joined Will at Maintain at the time, we were Maintain Condition Monitoring or Maintain CM. And uh, very quickly, as we were going down that journey, we realised that as a condition monitoring company, all we were ultimately doing we were adding value by identifying problems that could potentially reduce or cause unexpl- uh, unexpected downtime. But ultimately, we were giving customers a lot of problems in the meantime that they were yeah. struggling to deal with. It's always a trouble. It's always a case with, with that type of thing. Because notoriously, again, sometimes like the wrong way to kind of put value on our value is be putting giving people problems. Does that make sense? Yeah. So by just by saying, oh, we are finding you all these different things is not really a metric on how valuable your service is, if that makes sense. Essentially, whoever is, who is actually receiving that information, you have to put yourself in them shoes. And we know even now it's so difficult for availability. Resources are tight. And again, every place is the same to a degree. And if you're getting more problems on your plate, do you know what I mean? Are they necessarily helpful? I mean, obviously they're obviously important, but as well, the more you put on the plate, the less, like severe they seem because you've got so many on the plate especially the smaller customers that we have that are not you know at the larger scale where they have an abundance of teams that look after this and look after that you often find that the engineer manager isn't just responsible for engineering he's also looking after compliance and looking after this so he's got a lot of other stuff on his plate let alone having us come in and be like this is broken you need to change this soon it like it's quite, can be quite overwhelming especially for new customers that we've never been to before and you, they've never ha- experienced condition monitoring before definitely and this is kind of where the business model spurred because again i think obviously when i started this business it was almost a copy from what i did before essentially because yeah. you kind of take what you know and then you try to improve it or make it better but in terms of the strategy and the model it was very similar do you know what i mean in terms of going in doing vibration analysis you know 
selecting a bunch of assets essentially and giving a good condition report on them assets in terms of what we find. Do you know, regardless of what the criticality is, regardless of of a lot of metrics that at the time weren't measured really to the, the yeah. degree that they should have been. Because obviously at the time again we have the you have the verbal discussions in terms of plant. Of course you do. You always the engineer manager knows kind of verbally or off his head where the critical assets kind of are and what ones can hurt them. But again a lot of the time, I'd say a very high percentage of the time, there's not been enough criteria behind them decisions in terms of what actually is critical and what's not. Yeah. And because them criticality assessments hasn't really been fought at at a level of getting everyone involved around the whole organisation within the business, generally the criticality then usually is only kind of assigned to one person's perception rather than actually it being critical, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So um, again, uh, we found that that is not a problem, but obviously as we are going through... It's an awareness uh, thing, I think it boils down yeah. to. It's like, even for us and our journey, because obviously after we made the transition over to reliability we included the solve part where we do a lot of the engineering services but that's where the improve bit kind of stepped in we're like right reliability we were just coming out of covid uh customers were looking at more how do we build a bit more of a strategy and i don't think reliability necessarily is not new it just for us i feel like a lot of our customers are just now coming on to that part of the journey yeah and, I agree. and we did as well so we kind of were like we, we understand. kind of pivoted, didn't we, off the, off the basis of the industry kind of requiring more than just detection. Yeah, I think, and like for us as well, like we've always been around reliability. We understand that condition monitoring as a whole doesn't improve reliability, but helps find these problems. But there's a real big synergy there. So we kind of felt, well, we had a chat, didn't we? And we were at the time just then bringing, getting more involved with Mobius training and Mobius offer a course called ARP. So we're like, right, we're getting more involved with reliability. We should probably at least get ourselves trained to understand the real nuances yeah, of it Yeah, of all. course. And obviously in terms of your experience and your previous jobs, you kind of sidestepped out of kind of the condition monitoring role a little bit and went into yeah. more continuous improvement and yeah. kind of looked at more of the production values, which I think is has helped us massively because when you're just so engineering and you're not really in the production world, you can't really comment in terms of how things are done and how things are run. Yeah. And um, because these two these two departments essentially they need to be able to communicate. Yeah. And I think this is probably one of the notorious problems that we probably still currently have in the majority of UKs where the communication could be a lot better or improved. Yeah. And I, I think mean? like reliability as a whole, <clears throat> as we're working with customers now that are creating their own reliability departments or we're there supporting as the reliability, you know, support, you start realizing that reliability is almost like a, a bridging group because you're trying to improve the reliability to make sure production are happy and they're producing you're trying to improve the reliability to make sure the quality team are we're making the product at the right level of quality we're yeah. trying to make sure engineering are happy and health and safety and you this is why reliability has can have such a massive impact on an organization so when it's implemented can be like the glue can't it to be able to glue things together to a degree yeah because there's a lot of separation i believe in a lot of the again when, whenever you're in any organisation, I think there is, depending on different sectors or sections that have different kind of roles, there is segregation to a degree. But then the reliability part almost glues it all together. So they yeah. all kind of understand each other as well. And I think there's a bigger kind of benefit to do reliability on the communications parts of any organisation in terms of a positive impact than just purely from 
you know, the metrics it can drive and save you money in terms of the long yeah. run as well. So there's so, and again, I think your experience within that world opened up my eyes because obviously I was very interested in this, always have been, um, but never really had the opportunity to go on a course or go down the right route to be able to give us the awareness of, hey, what actually is reliability really? Because yep. it's just a, it's just a word that's thrown out a lot of the time. And what we're really about to do is really kind of hone into that word. What does it actually mean? Right. What what are the functions behind it? And as well, the awareness as well to be able to where do we go learn this information? If you yeah. don't if you're not if you're not actually kind of exposed to it at school or college or anywhere on your educational journey, how do you actually come across it? Because you either overcome across it when you're working at a company, a bit like yep. you did with the CI stuff and you kind of learned as a you know, you had a mentor there that kind of taught you the ropes. Or if not, you kind of learn off your own back. Yep. So again, this is where I think ARP for us is just it's so important. It's so valuable because i think you've you've now gone through this process as well haven't you it just changes the way you you think think about about stuff stuff. even if you're you know a um engineering manager or your maintenance manager that is aware of reliability it can be you know you may have kpis that are telling you right we want to improve the site reliability but where do you start and i always felt that or coming off the back of doing my arp what it gave me was it gave me a framework of, okay, well, how do you start this? Like, okay, I, I'm a factory manager. I'm an engineering manager. I want to improve site reliability. How do I do it? Yeah, where's the steps? Where's the Where's the first point? point on the first step in yeah, the ladder? Exactly. And I think sometimes it can be well overwhelming because I think when people like break down the reliability kind of services and the different things that you can kind of get as a service down into little chunks. Yeah. It get quite complicated kind of word. There's a lot of different things, a lot of different words. There's a lot of different, and some of them mean similar things as well. So it can be a little bit confusing, but what ARP kind of does, it puts it all into a place where it's all understandable and it's all really process driven. So you're like from the start, you don't need to know about, a lot of the stuff at the end of the course, you go through it in this process way, which yeah. I just think is really, really valuable for anyone to, to, you know, to, to get grips with. So if anyone is out there, okay. And they're in a reliability role. And obviously, you know, again, it all depends on experience and where you've been in different, you know, cause again, you could have been somewhere where it had, you know, great experience with it and you could kind of know everything that's within this content. Conversely, you could be somewhere that hasn't really kind of done that. So yeah. the course has a lot of value in that sense. So you, let, let us guys know if you are interested in it, because I, I believe this course is going to blow up in the next five years, definitely. I think- Purely because now we're ready in this time of place where reliability is now coming into its own. And a lot of people now are looking to be able to get actually credited for, you know, doing it and understanding it as well. I think if you're in a situation where you've got a piece of machinery or a piece of an asset that's very critical to you. And if you're asked the question, how do you maintain that asset? And then you list out all the ways you're maintaining it. And then if you ask yourself, why do you do that? And you can't answer that, then reliability is a very good opportunity for you to get involved with. Because if you're maintaining an asset through this ways and you don't really know why you're doing it, the reliability journey as a whole will give you a framework to be able to say, well, this is, how we're going to maintain that asset and why we're going to do and it. And the why part is probably more important than the how, essentially, because yeah. what's the point in doing something if we don't even know why we're doing it? Yeah. Does, that, does that make sense? It's a big part, like we see even now with just the customers that we do condition monitoring with. You know, we're going in, we're, they haven't done the reliability part, so they don't understand, they understand why we're doing condition monitoring, but they don't understand why that, 
helps them avoid certain types of failure modes. So what you end up finding is we do the condition monitoring, someone walks around and checks the asset, someone does this PM, someone does that PM, and then you end up with loads of PMs that probably could be removed because we've decided that these failure modes are being covered by this maintenance strategy. Yeah, of course. And again, that's the thing. This is the thing what is so valuable about it. Because if you can save time and resource, right, when it's very limited, right, over loads of small little places, okay, it adds up like catastrophically. And this is the thing about what people need to understand in terms of efficiencies. If, you know, when you've got a lot of PMs being pumped out, and you can get a little bit efficient with one and alter the way you're doing it because you're doing a bit of condition-based maintenance as well and you've got a mixture, then it can really start to, you know, play massive benefits for your maintenance functions, especially your availability as well. Yeah. And and then you can then get proactive because the problem is it's this maintenance cycle, isn't it? It's this reactive cycle. You can't get out of it. No. It's impossible it's, it's if difficult. your guys can't spend time on being proactive. Yep. Do you know what I mean? If they're, if they're reacting all the time, then how can they be proactive? How can you have... Like obviously, you've got strategies to become proactive. But if you've got no one to do that proactive work, do you know what I mean? Like lubrication and making sure everything is running in a nice you know, way in terms of running conditions to precision, you, you've got no time for that. Because that, that, that stuff takes a lot of time. Yeah, and that's where yeah. you're kind of like, for me, because an RCM's come in and PMO's come in. So these are like a few acronyms that are thrown about in reliability quite a bit, and they're part of the ARP course. So for me, and RCM are there to help decide what the maintenance strategy should be for those assets. Um, and we can go in more detail with that, maybe in this podcast or another one. And then PMO is to look at your current planned maintenance and which ones are not worth doing. Yeah, like a kind of... Get rid of the, get ones, rid of that the ones that are, not that are just worth not doing. worth doing. Yeah, and yeah. then your Famica and RCM help you look at, on each individual asset or system... What should we be doing? Yeah. And what strategy is best as well in terms of that? Yeah. What and it be? just looks at, we're just doing basically a risk assessment on that asset based on all the different failure modes that could potentially stop it doing what it's designed to do. Yeah. Um, so that's all we're doing in that part. And when you break it down like that, it becomes a little bit more simpler. I think they like when you have these big acronyms, people get a bit they do, yeah. I think like, they, oh they get God. a bit, bit, bit off by it, don't they? And it me, sounds yeah. complicated. It sounds so much more complicated than what the actual function of it is, if that makes sense. To be honest, a lot of reliability stuff is fairly, is, the idea is simple. And because it is, it, it's efficient. Yeah. Again, like what we don't want to do is overcomplicate stuff. We come from a very complex world of vibration analysis with a lot of different terms and terminologies and numbers and you know different ways of calculating things. Um, when it comes down to reliability, we want to try to be as efficient as possible, don't we? We don't want yeah. to be really, uh, it's no it's, analysis by paralysis. It's, it's, it's knowing when to be um, efficient and what practices to use in organisation yeah. to make things run smoother. I think it's um, generally for both vibration analysis and reliability and engineering in general is, as engineers, we like to overcomplicate. I know we do. <laughs> like, and like how many times as well you're like, and again, this is one of our biggest drives as well. And it's, and it's kind of almost me. I, I was almost conditioned years ago as well in terms of being an analyst. You know, yeah. I loved it. I love the art. It's, it's like an art vibration analysis. It and it gets very disheartening when you're like my art of showing into this report of like the spectrums of time waveforms and all these beautiful things and these different curses and the explanation of what's going on and why almost now becomes redundant. Yeah. And it's a pain. It's like a big like knife in my heart because I'm like the customer doesn't need to see it. 
all of this information. Okay, it's great. And it's, you know, it's great that I've done that as a study, maybe for another vibration analysis engineer, the engineer manager, he don't care. He doesn't care if it's inner race, outer race, whatever defect and seeing pretty plots and stuff. He doesn't. That's not what he, you know, is passionate about, if that makes sense. Yeah. What he is passionate about, those running this plant efficiently. So he wants to see that information, A, in the most clearest you know, way yep. and the most simplest recommendation in terms of how, how do I get it here? And then what is our job to be able to say, do you know what, actually, we can actually do that for you. Yep. We can actually solve that for you and we can improve it if you do it like this. So again, what we're trying to do is like, again, we understand how busy people are, do you know what I mean, in terms of their day. What we want to try to do is not give more problems. We want to try to help them out and try to get them to the next st stage it. of where they can actually start implementing these strategies to become more reliable. Because if we just carry on giving people recommendations all the time, yeah, then we, we just kind of in this perpetual loop of insanity to a degree, because it's just nothing ever really seems to change, does it? No. There's no improvement. And I think us as engineers is we have all have this innate want to be able to make things better and improve. And eventually, no matter how much you're doing something or detecting issues, if you can't see the improvement, you will start to get demoralized by that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because it's just the engineer's way. That's that's what I personally feel like anyway, when sometimes things are moving, not uh, slower, but maybe things are just kind of at a standstill with no strategy to be able to say, well, where are we going now? What's yeah. the best, What well, from this point here, how do we actually improve what we're doing? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think reliability as a whole or the ARP framework or anything like that, it just gives um, a base of where people need to start. So like stage one of the reliability kind of like journey that's outlined by um, Mobius talks about culture change, buy-in, um, business plan, business opportunity. It's about looking at um, what opportunity is there to improve the reliability Um and where to start that that's like the first part of the course um how how important will how important is that first step and the culture change in terms of getting the whole program to actually work um as an oil machine and work I mean, how important is it how integral is it basically like not to hamper down like not to trying to think of the word to describe give me your it, give me your honest opinion essentially if that piece isn't done you're kind of destined to fail. Really? It will not work. <laughs> Pretty much. You, yeah. you have, you have, why, why, why is that? You, when it comes down to reliability, it, it's one of those very few things that is it influenced by so many departments within the business. Yeah. So, you know, it's influenced by the purchasing team. It's influenced by health and safety. It all has this impact on a widespread network. Therefore, you ha must, it's imperative that there is at least buy-in from above. That's yeah. the first step. Like, if you're just the engineer manager, like, you have to get, you know, the directors on board. You have to get the shareholders on board. If you're a big enough company, say, look, we are going to make a big change to the way we're doing things to improve our shareholder value, to improve the way we do things, to do this. And it has to come from... If you're yeah. not at the top, it, you have to present to the top. And so you have to make the down. why big enough as well so Hugely. people listen. And I, I think that's why a lot of people are missing as well. A lot of people want to do reliability, but they don't know what their why. They don't know yeah. really what is it going to bring to their organisation? What what efficiencies is it going to bring? And once they understand what their why's actually could be or, or are, then it's a lot easier to sell that to anyone. Because yeah. when you really know the value of what you're doing, it's quite easy to associate a cost um, to, <clears> to what the cost could potentially bring you back in 
terms of return on yeah. investment as well. And don't get me wrong, like there's ways you can improve the reliability of your plant without going and ha- doing this massive reliability project and culture change. You know, you could do little things like trying to improve the lubrication and stuff like that. But if you want to make a big impact and, and change the way that the entire business is ran, it has to go for the top. Yeah. First. And I think that's why kind of an ARP stuff that really opened up my eyes and your eyes as well. Initially about that was the first kind of part of the course, because again, if you don't get that bit right, it's very difficult to really implement it, it, it you know, in terms of longevity yeah. and something that is going to be able to have a legacy as well. It kind of opened our eyes up as well from our angle as well. We don't just teach it. We go in and look to support and implement it. And often what you find is, is that in organisations where we see lots of opportunity for improvement with reliability, if it's not being, and a lot of the cases not, if it's not being measured as a KPI for like the engineer and manager, when we're speaking to him being like, look, we need to improve the reliability. Let's see if we can get the plant running. If he's not being measured against it, he doesn't care. He doesn't. That's that's the thing, isn't it? As it well? it's the, we, go, we then yeah, end up realising we're going to the wrong person. We want to go up to like the directors and be like, look, you have an opportunity here to you know, improve the quality of the product, make more of it, make more money, but we have to change the way that... Exactly, because it has to be fed from the top, doesn't it? Because at the end of the day, we can be kind of, you know, talking to the engineer manager about these these things that are essentially going to, you know, give more life cycle to his assets, but that's a long game for him. He's not thinking of the long game. His his KPIs are driven upon the short game. Yep. So he's not really interested in that. Well, he's interested. I'm not saying that. I think every engineer is interested in terms of that, but like it doesn't really benefit is short game. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which is getting driven on them KPIs. So again, them KPIs and a lot of them figures are being driven from the top below. Yeah. So again, this is why it's very important to be able to really get, you know, from the top down, really a good buy-in and, and understanding of how this works. And that can be difficult for companies like us because, you know, when we're we, growing become, into this, we're, we're, we're kind of far removed from that top level kind of people. We kind of really, yeah. really our whole world is based around engineering managers, yeah. to, so to speak. So it kind of pivots the way that we have to approach it as well. And kind of pivots the way that we have to almost have these podcasts, because again, we are talking to a lot of engineering managers a lot of the time. We are, that is kind of our audience and kind of a lot of people that follow us, you know, I, in that world or in reliability, but we have to start looking at the other people as well and communicating this message to them as well, because, you know, again, they're not going to be necessarily into this engineering world, like, you know, the engineer managers are as well. So it like also boils down to, um, when you, we have that very good relationship with the engineer manager and sometimes we can't get above to the people above. No, that. it's difficult. So we ha- we're reliant then on site to be able to push the message that we know they need to do. Up the upwards. scale. Exactly. And yeah. so like, we're very fortunate at the moment, we're now going through a big reliability project with one of our customers, PPG. And we work very closely with uh, Nathan there, and he's really on board with what we're doing. So the other week, we put a presentation together, together, uh, we put a presentation together, and then just outlining very briefly what, the opportunity for improving the reliability for the site is. And he's now presenting that this week to the guys above him to say, look, this is what I want to do. This is why I want to improve reliability. This is how it's going to improve our regulatory compliance and stuff like that, which is a big one of it's his massive, KPIs. Yeah, it's one of the big KPIs. They're a chemical co-mater site. So he's now presenting that. And if he gets buy-in from it, it's great because then we can start, then we start the process of moving down. It's like having that win before you've even done any work, because when you get that buy-in, you know, then every action after that, 
it's going to be well received yeah. and they're going to get the most value out of your time in terms of what you're Especially doing. Especially when you're like trying to change something that maybe like people are a little bit resistant to. You're like, no, we're changing it because of, of this. this. Yeah. And you always have to really promote that message from the get go. Cause if not, it's going to get lost in translation. Cause there are a lot of changes that come with this kind of reliability roadmap, especially when it comes down to old ways of maintenance in terms of you're not out, well, kind of more habitual ways of maintenance that are We've not necessarily, that yeah, not necessarily working. Um, and outdated ones as well, where, you know, a lot of these processes have been put in at a time and place where technology wasn't available. Do you know what I mean? We didn't have the actual capabilities to be able to detect a lot of these things as well. So again, PPM kind of was, was driven a lot more back then. But what I found is as we've had the technology, we've implemented more condition-based maintenance. The PPMs are still there. They're still staying. They're yep. not They're not shifting or evolving with the plant as well. So again, I think the one at PPG for us is, is beautiful because we've had that contract for a lot. I, mean, I had that one when I was on my own, if that makes sense. And uh, we did incredible work there in terms of vibration analysis and condition monitoring. But when now the the questions are being asked about how we can get to the next level, you know, we've got great buy-in from Nathan and, and Cy, and it's an exciting time actually to be able to do it as well and work with, with the guys because, you know, we've almost evolved together through this process, if yeah. that makes sense. And we're, we're ready to be able to offer these services now. And this is why I'm so proud of this year in terms of maintain reliability and yourself, Will. We've really kind of transformed into something different for the better. Yeah, do you know what definitely. I mean? And, and by doing that as well, we're not trying to obviously drop the ball or, you know, um, get any worse with the other services. If anything, they're becoming better because we're being because more efficient. Yeah, stuff. exactly. Because now so, like, it's a different to... focus as well, isn't it? We can offer that yeah. now in terms of not even shove it down people's throats, but just start giving them like the awareness to it. And then gradually it can maybe grow into and, and evolve into it's something that's going to help. It's not just anymore about us turning up to site, mapping all the assets, collecting the data. It's about asking the question, why? Yeah, Where's the journey now? Why, why are we collecting this yeah, asset like yeah. this? Is there a better strategy to do it? What else are you doing to the assets? Exactly. To maintain How can we help you come up with them, you know, yeah. them, them decisions as well? Do you know so what I mean? So kind yeah. of with that first stage, we've got that buy-in from above. It's then important that we get buy-in from below as well. Exactly. So it, it, that's the next part of that kind of part of the journey, which goes into... That, like, that's where passion as well is, is extremely important. When you're very passionate about these subjects and you're trying to be able to get like-minded people within the engineering sectors. Because again, that bit is for us a little bit easier, I find sometimes, because all depends on kind of where they're at in terms mm. of age and where they've kind of, you know what I mean, being within yeah. the organisation. Because, you know, even when we was uh, speaking to another company uh, and they had a couple of graduates, they were well for everything we were doing. And it almost seemed like they were straight off the bat. Yeah, this is great. It sounds great. Yeah. So for them, it was a bit because they're new to the industry. They're coming into this reliability game right now. It's a game changer for them. Because remember, if, if we had the same exposure to reliability when we was coming up um, in our graduate years, imagine how much we would have learned yeah, yeah. already. Do you know what I mean? Opposed to kind of learning it in the last kind of four years of, of growing this business and kind of going to where it needs to go. So yeah, the reliability stuff and, and you know, the stuff we're doing at PPG is really exciting for us. And it's great to be able to, you know, work alongside these companies that have been very close to us for a very long time in different ways as well. Do you know Definitely. what I mean? So in, in terms of um, reliability, well, let's just quickly go over some of the things that you've learned. Yeah. Maybe pick three. I think we've got enough time for three, three little things. Um, that you've learned in the ARP or your reliability journey and why they're important. Okay. Uh, understanding what failure means. That's quite so, an important one. Understanding what failure actually is. So Will's got, got a great yeah. little um, discussion so about actually this. Actually, I, I had a good um, 
little discussion with Danny on LinkedIn about this the other day. He put a comment out. Jamie put a video of a bearing. You may have seen it. Bit of a ball counter. <laughs> a lot of people. I shared it. A lot of people see it. Um, and it was a shocker. It was a shocker. It was a, a beautiful find. But the shaft was still running. And it probably had about four, four balls in it. It should add probably 12. And it was literally just like one of them little carousel balls was tick. just coming over and just ticking round That's and it. ticking round. So four balls were keeping this thing going. Literally hanging so, on by a fingernail. When it, in terms of like reliability, centered maintenance and the Famica process, RCM in particular, we have to define the function of the machine to be able to understand what are the ways that it can fail. And what are the effects that happen if it fails and the causes and consequences and everything like that. So for that particular application, it's a screw. It's a, uh, it's a screw conveyor, isn't it? Moving products from one place A to B to another. So when we look at RCM and Famica, we're talking about, we want to understand how the machine can functionally fail. So for a pump, for example, we may state that the function of the pump is to pump fluid from tank a to tank b at set flow rate at set volume whatever now if the impeller is worn and it is no longer delivering the flow we would say that it is functionally failed it's no longer performing its function no longer able to perform the function of what it's it's still rotating but it's still moving so in the case of this conveyor the function of it would be to move product from a to b the bearing may no longer quite be <laughs> integrally sound, but the function of the conveyor is, is still, still there. actually happening. He's still actually managing to get product from A to, to, B. to B. So you could you could say that the conveyor has not yet functionally, functionally failed. failed. But However, the bearing, the bearing has failed. What is the function of the bearing? It's to provide support to the rotating element of the shaft, the motor, whatever. You could argue from that video it may no longer be providing the support necessary to take the axial load the or the uh, vertical load that is required and therefore you for the bearing element that has functionally failed it's no and then you could even put another curveball in there because you could say the cage is a part of that bearing yep has the cage functionally failed because the function of the cage is to keep all of the balls yep in and, and everything that we're kind of to the bearing yeah and is it doing that no it's not because the cage is not even there so the cage has functionally failed because it's not doing the cage's function for that bearing yeah and this is like so this is, it can get a bit confusing kind of it, you know? it can do and this is where like your famicas and rcms come in when you're going through all the different failure modes this is where you have to decide and it's part of the process of improvement reliability like how far do we go because at what point does he get a little bit? It's, kind of... it's what's reasonably practical. NASA probably wants to know all the failure modes that are going to stop down the cage. to the T and every single little detail. You know, but do we need to when you're looking at them kind of functions yeah. of, a, of a shall we say a bearing? Or exactly something that is fairly and, and, and simple. Even, in and operation. even for a conveyor, you you probably won't start listing all the failure modes of the bearing. You probably won't go cage, the cage, outer, the ball. inner. You probably won't. But you, what you do want to understand is, you know. What are the what is going to stop that conveyor from performing its function? It's going to get blocked. That's one thing that might stop it from delivering from A to B. The bearing may collapse. Maybe the shaft may fail. 
Exactly. So anything that, that actually physically stops that process or function yeah. from actually happening. And that's the achieved. first thing, like we, like for us, for me, that was one of the first, like understanding failure a bit. Like when, when do we class it as failed? Like when is it stopped? Is it when it blows up or is it when it, you know, stops doing what it needs to exactly, do? Exactly. 100%. And that was a cool learning like thing. Yeah. And I like that as well. Cause I think it gives a good kind of debate as well about has that failed. Or has it not? And is there different words we can associate to failure, like functional failure, right? Should we start using that a little bit more? Because yeah. it means a lot of different things to a failure. Yeah. Does that make sense? Has it actually caused the function of whatever it is to stop? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because you could have a pump and you could have a motor connected to a pump and the motor may have failed, but the pump may not have failed. But obviously because now the motor is not turning the pump, then the pump's not going to be able to do its function. So it's a functional failure but the moat has failed. So again, it, you, you can kind of almost um, define failure as different kind of criteria in itself as well. Yeah. well all right. Well, that's, that was a really good example. I actually really like that discussion. Give me, give me, um, give me one more. Um, actually, uh, no, two more. I want two. You want two more. Okay. Uh, trying to think. Um, so uh, I, I really like the breakdown that is taught in ALP and that Famica and RCM uh risk assessments essentially i think it really take mystifies out what could be quite a complex process so for mika and rcm risk assessments yeah to a degree so like they're both different strategies that let help you define what maintenance needs to be done rcm is one way um failure mode effect criticality analysis is another but all you're essentially doing is you're looking at the function of that asset and you're trying to work out all the different ways it could stop doing its function yeah, is and that they, which one is that? Is that the they both do a very both similar, do the similar, similar thing. thing? Okay, yeah, They're yeah, just yeah. Structured slightly differently. Um, we're listing all the different ways it could potentially stop doing it. We're going through all the different causes that it could stop. Give me example or mate. effects. Give me a so, bit of an example. Like, I okay, know. we've got a water pump. Yeah, um, one of the and it's got a pump flow from A to B at, at set volume. Um, this I like to use this analogy because it's quite good, but. You could say, okay, one of the ways it could stop performing its function is that the pump casing could crack. Yeah. Right? So what Famica and RCM do is they say, right, so if that was to crack and fail, what would be the effect? The effect would be that the pump loses all the water out. And it cannot pump the water. Can't pump the water. Because there's no volume to hold. Yeah. So you look at the causes that could cause that to crack as well and the consequences. So if that was to crack the consequence would be we'd end up with a puddle of water on the floor yeah or the consequence could be a lot worse if it was a chemical product or exactly something like that so then that risk then becomes a lot higher exactly. because of that and that's where things change because you look at it from two different angles. you say if it was water you know the effect and the consequence would be you know the effect would be we won't be able to pump water anywhere the consequence would be we end up with a puddle of water on the floor the likelihood which also gets factored in you know what, and the detectability, like how likely are we going to be able to this to happen, and what's the detectability of it? To detect it, it's pretty hard to detect if the, yeah. the likelihood of happening it is quite low. So on a water pump, you may say, well, as a business, we're happy to accept the risk that yes, okay, we may end up with a puddle of water on the floor, but the likelihood of that happening is, is, is quite low. If and it, I think when you've gone through that kind of process, then it does start to think, okay, I really now can define really what I need to, yeah. to worry about and what I don't. If it was a chemical pump, 
the likelihood of that happening is still very still low, low, but the, but consequence the consequence is, is huge. It's massive. Yeah, so exactly. as a business, we're not willing to accept that. We're going to put the pump, bun the pump. We're going to thickness test the pump every so often if it's quite a large cast iron yeah. pump. Perfect um, analogy, that. And you fair. just pit, do that for all the different ways. And that's ways a great example, fail. really, to just give you an uh, indication that, you know, you're not basing just Critic Kelly on if it stops, yeah. right? There's a consequence to a failure with everything. And that consequence is going to have a different severity depending on what is pumping, what it's doing, the process, the application, yeah. all these different factors. So until you do these studies in terms of Famicas and risk assessments that you've got, you, you will never really understand the severity of the failure if you don't think about it and you don't really kind of almost play it out yeah. in your head of what potentially could happen. Do you know and, what I mean? And off the back of that, you obviously do it for all your different things. And at the end of it, you're like, okay, well, the motor could fail because of this or the windings. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to do condition-based maintenance on that. And at the end of it, you have a list of actions and things that you need to do to be able to maintain that asset reasonably to prevent those failure modes. Yeah, of course. And yeah. that's what then helps you define what you need to be doing. You might need to put some PMs in place. You might need to have someone come in and do vibration analysis. Exactly. On it. And that, that's a really good way of, uh, you know, defining the maintenance strategy that is based upon these different facts yeah. of what you've And got. then I suppose for your third one, we could talk about which ties in quite nicely, which is what we spoke about earlier, which is PMO, which is planned maintenance optimization. So what's that PMO plan planned maintenance, maintenance optimization. optimization. So, so just explain that word a little bit. Very simply, your Famicas and RCMs define what you should be doing yeah and your pmos define what you don't need to be doing so right. you it, you go through your current list of plan maintenance and essentially you have to be a little bit brutal but if if you find that the pm does not add value you get rid of you it you get rid of it you literally go through that process and it's almost like clearing out your wardrobe if you've got a, like say if you've got a wardrobe full of clothes right and you're like don't wear that anymore yeah you have to be savage with it and it's you the do. same thing with this kind of pm optimization the well. amount of resource you may then become available for if you've got that's PMs, the benefit isn't say, it? yeah check the pump and you can't answer detailing what they're checking and you go to your engineers and you say so this pm says check the pump what do you do oh we just look round, just kind it of and, feel it and yeah, yeah you know you're not adding any value you're not logging anything of it what's the point what is the point if if there's no positive what, what, outcome of checking a pump like there's got to be some sort if, of metric out if of we've that. determined from the famica that actually we need to check the oil level we need to make sure that the thickness is adequate we're check going to do belt. that every six months we're going to yeah. check the bells and it's God. defined within the pm smart clean motor as well smart pms as well. and it's defined in there check the uh you might have check the belt tension right it might be a, it might be a shutdown check or something like that and it says check the belt tension belt tension should be this amount if it's more than this we need to raise a corrective if it's less if it's, we need to raise a corrective, corrective. Yeah. if it's between this band or whatever we Perfect. have to define to the guys exactly what they're checking that's when PMs become smart. They of course become it does, effective. because when they're checking something, it also gives the guys a and metric, then, and then they actually feel like they're doing something of a value as well. Yeah. That's as well a big issue, because a lot of the time, when we do get these PMs, they're not descriptive, and they're, they're pretty much useless. The guys almost feel like, oh, well, I'll do it, but I don't feel like I'm adding any value. As engineers, if we do not feel like we're adding value, we get demoralised. We have yeah. to be able to be kept on our toes to a degree, but as well, given actions that are based around actual improvement to Definitely. the plant or that is valuable, because if we're being told to carry out pointless, you know, PPMs, yep. it's almost like saying that you are not valued yep. because you're, 
you, we know that they're not good, yeah. and we're giving these to you to and almost waste time. I suppose on the whole, on the whole efficiency thing, and talking about Famica and RCM, and talking about PMO, I think a last one to kind of wrap it up because it just came to me, which is really good. So you may have, you may do your Famica part on a piece of equipment that, no matter what the failure modes are, the effects and the consequences no matter what really don't they don't affect production they're not going to hurt someone they're not going to do anything the cost is pretty low that they have no impact impact whatsoever. onto the business yeah it's okay to have run to failure run to failure is a maintenance strategy it is a strategy and yeah. it's important that that's done because what you may be doing is you may be having people doing pms you may be having your vibration analyst team or you may be having your contractors come in, test that asset every month. You're putting money. That's co- it's, Vibration analysis isn't free. <laughs> you are, it's, it's a cost implicated it's a on, the, cost. on that asset. It is, yeah. And therefore, but to the, to the business, that asset, if that was to fail, it has minimal impact. Exactly. And But you can only really, really make them kind yeah. of decisions when you've done that when you've of, done that piece of work. Yeah. Because the thing is, something may not really be critical to production, but... The health and safety and, risk of something failing like a fan yep. huge. Is, is huge. So again, you know, you have to really base, you know, you can't just say, okay, well, if it was to fail, it wouldn't actually have any benefit. Like, you know, that's where your effect and consequence comes in. That's because yeah. if this was to fail, you know, it may not impact production. It may not do this. It may not do this. But if it hurts someone straight away, it's not acceptable. It matter, to it does, to it does, it's not acceptable at, at all. Really, but when you've got a machine right in the corner of the plant, it's maybe just a water pump. And if it goes down, it's a quick change and it doesn't affect production whatsoever. Yeah, and there's no, it, with it failing, it doesn't, you know, create any harm. It's, it's a very different story. Exactly. And that's where you can use run to fail as a maintenance strategy. But it's important that we log it and we record it because when someone goes, why is that run to fail? It's because I've done this piece of work. I've looked at all my failure modes and yeah. none of these impact the business in any way. And therefore it's actually a waste of our time and money and resource. And to we can now spend that time, money, resource in other areas. On that things that, is, are, more that are more important and more critical rather yeah. than having a blanket approach across a number of assets and go way too thin on the assets that we need to be spending a lot of where, time with and going, you know, or, you know, spending time and attention on assets that we don't really yeah. need to be. And that's where your criticality analysis, your Pareto analysis, your opportunity ranking and asset health, all these different metrics, which we'll probably discuss in another podcast this is what tells you where to start those processes where do i start my famicas and rcms because you can't do it on everything you're no, going to be and you're going to be overwhelmed as well because i mean let's be honest some of the sites that we visit have hundreds, thousands of hundreds or thousands of assets so so where do you start so the framework is beautiful because yep. if you really do follow it and understand it it, it works simplifies it, it does simply. work it does again there's a lot more to it than that there's not just you know a formula that you put in you do it and you know you get the results you have to have a get a lot of buy-in and a lot of yep. different people kind of involved with the process and understand it and you know really be a part of it but you know if you can if you can start to influence the people and you can follow this framework it's a really it can help revolution it can literally change everything and this is i think why we kind of want to talk about it a little bit more because I think me and you had like, whoa, wow moments especially, after doing it as Especially well. for the smaller companies. You know, we do, um, we work with a lot of big companies that are already like powering through this. But we work with a lot of smaller companies that have, have been doing condition monitoring for the last three, four years. But, you know, they don't maybe necessarily have the, you know, f- finances to set up a whole reliability team like Amazon can. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I, I think as well, sometimes with that, 
because there's not been a lot of apprenticeships around reliability and like, you know, again, we, we kind of need a lot more reliability engineers that understand this concept now. Yeah. We, we are in the shortage, really, essentially. If I, if I put a job application oh, yeah. out, do you know what I mean? That you, we don't, it's not taught, is it? It's you just, go, that's why, though, You man. go to school, you go to college as engineers, you get taught how to maintain, how to align pulleys, how bearings work, and all the hand-fitting techniques. I remember one of them was, you get taught all this, but you go, don't get taught, well, how do I prevent the failure in the yeah. first place? It's just not something that is taught. So, again, I think one of one of my dreams for the, the, the Maintain Training Academy would to be really create something you know, with like some universities and colleges, something that allows us to Goals be able for to... 2023. Hey? Yeah, man, definitely. And again, I don't really care how long it takes. It's more of a legacy thing, but um, I think it's a big, big part of our next kind of leap in terms of reliability and UK manufacturing as a whole, really, in terms of sustainability yeah. as well. I mean, like next year for us is a very big focus from yourself on training and mobile. Massive, so... yeah, huge, huge focus on training. This year has been a great learning curve. We are so grateful for Mobius and their patience and do you know what I mean? Everything we've done, they've really supported us through all of this. So, you know, you know, we really want to shout out the the ARP course within this. We'll obviously tag Mobius into, into this as well. Um, because you know, we're not doing this to, to sell anything. We're doing it because to raise awareness. Yeah. But not even that. There's a bigger reason. There's a bigger why to all of this. I see it now. I see it clearer now. I see how this can impact the world if everyone starts to implement this type of, you know, thing. So many, it's a bigger, it's a bigger deal than we actually know. It's not know. just about improving the plant reliability, like the endless list of things that if benefits it's implemented, as well, you know, yeah. reduced energy cost, better sustainability. And they're just, they're and I don't the feel like I understood the sustainability stuff until recently. Um, and, you know, I did a talk at, at Maintech about sustainability and condition monitoring. When I started to really research into it, and I was forced to because I was talking on it, because I knew it was obviously, and I knew it had a big impact, yeah. but I didn't realise how big impact that was when I started to look into it and start to think about the knock-on effects of how huge it can actually get in terms of saving if you start to apply these things and, you know, and understanding what even just by condition monitoring can do yeah. to be able to really improve you know, sustainability by detecting issues and making them better. So I think we've really tapped into that in terms of our offering because as well as, of course, we want to grow a business. Of course we do. There's there's a really nice why behind it in terms of, do you know what I mean? Greater good as well, which yeah. I think for us is it just, it's a cherry on the cake and especially when you love what you do anyway, yeah. when you actually know you're making a difference in a way. And, you know, it, it gives us that extra push to be able to do that as well. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. Definitely. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this one. I want to thank Will for all his knowledge on ARP. Um, it's been a good year, actually, and it's been a it's big learning big curve learning. for reliability, as well as myself as well. Obviously, Will is kind of, um, I think he's, you've taken a special love to it a little bit, haven't you? Yeah, I don't know. I just, it's it's nice. I, I love doing the condition monitoring. I love the I know, vibration I he analysis. He does love the VA. He's a geek. Like it's me. Yeah, you have to be. We're big but VA geeks. The nice thing with the reliability stuff is it gives me that, and I think it will do yourself when we go through it together in the new year, is that, why am I doing that? Yeah. And I'm I'm so intrigued by it, and Will's kind of filming a lot. So I probably know half of it just by speaking to him. <laughs> I've been doing the content. So it's going to help me, actually, when I do it. I'm like, yeah, I've already heard about this, and it's just going to be. But, I mean, obviously, you know, decision has been made that Will will be probably running these next year as well. So Will will be the guy who's kind of um, taking his heart to it, and I'll be the guy that runs 
the vibration, the vibration analysis. analysis. There's going to be the some crossover eventually. I think there'll be crossover because I think I have to get involved and I think you want to get involved with what I'm doing. Um, but initially that's kind of how we're going to do it. And we're obviously going to evolve and grow from that point as well. And we're going to start getting some of the other guys involved with some training as well. Cause we understand and realize that the UK is a big place and we're right tucked into the East here. So we want to be able to offer this, you know, in different areas as well. So we're going to be doing um, some courses up North. We're going to do some we? courses up North as well initially, and then get some other guys uh, and key players that we've got within the business to be able to, you know, share, share what we share as well. They're very excited to be able to do that and step up to that. And we've got some really clever, bright guys that maintain the, the growth has been crazy in terms of what we teach them. But now, even with me kind of, you know, focus on the, on the training. Now we can, we can, we can even become better. Yeah. You know what I mean? So guys, thanks for tuning in. Um, we appreciate all the support. Take care.